Hello and welcome to Seen Anything Good Lately. I'm Jason Solomons and this is the podcast where the pros tell you what they're watching and you get loads of recommendations for what to catch up on. So I uh, I went in there and watched Clockwork Orange at nine years old and I'm I'm still recovering, frankly. Oh yeah, I just saw um, uh, Mon Oncle, My Uncle by Tati. My guests this week, you heard there, are the fabulous star Diane Lane, once the shining light of the Brat Pack in The Outsiders and Rumblefish, now a towering leading lady with a new film out starring opposite Kevin Costner in Let Him Go. And the other voice you heard is that of German keyboard wizard Nils Fram, whose dazzling new concert movie is streaming now on Mubi, tripping with Nils Fram. And that's what we'll do after I tell you if I've seen anything good lately. Wonder Woman 1984 should be out now. Well, it is out now, but most of you can't see it. Which begs the question, like the tree falling in the forest, does it even exist? I saw it, though, at a press screening. We all went in full of expectation, but by the time we'd got out, 150 minutes later, it was announced London was going into Tier 3 of Covid restrictions, so the cinemas would be closed. I mean, I know Wonder Woman flies an invisible plane, but now she's playing in invisible cinemas too. Oh well. Hopefully they'll keep her playing well into the new year so when restrictions lift, if restrictions lift, you can still see it. And it would be well worth it. It's a great bit of big screen fun and I really enjoyed being back at the movies for it. Perhaps I enjoyed the act and action of seeing it at the IMAX more than the actual film itself. That's a fair point, but it's also part of the experience for a superhero movie like that. And it all reminded me so much of what we've been missing. So to the film itself. Here's a clip. This world is not yet ready for all that you will do. Your time will come, Diana. And everything will be different. Citizens of the world. I'm here to change your life. Anything you want. Anything you dream of, you can have it. Feel pretty sargos. Gal Gadot is a wonder as the star, frankly. She holds the screen, she carries the movie, and it's just marvellous to behold. She's beautiful, graceful, heroic, lovely, and she keeps a straight back all the way through, just as the movie spirals further into nonsense. That's her superpower. I won't bore you with the plot. It's about a two-bit oil con man who takes over the world. He's He's a rubbish villain, I think. But some oblique reference to the tiny tantrums of Trump. Uh, Having stolen a magic gem from the Smithsonian Museum, where Gal's Diana now works, and she's alongside the demure gemologist Barbara, played by Kirsten Wiig. There are nice jokes about walking in heels, which is the real women's superpower, Uh, and Kristen Wiig and Gal make a very good pairing. It's set in 1984 for reasons I can't quite fathom. 
there are sight gags about fanny packs and dayglow and break dancers in the mall and walkmans but there's not much else there's a nice dressing up montage that chris pine gets to do which is gender flipping the traditional clothes montage uh, and there are some good action pieces at the beginning of the movie particularly i like it it's too long by about 30 minutes to be honest and could have done with more jokes especially with Kristen wig in it but it was perfectly fine and i hope you get to see it Really, because you'll enjoy it. And I really hope we get to see more of Gal Gadot doing her wonder stuff again very soon. Right, let's get Diane Lane on. She's no stranger to superheroes herself, plays Superman's mum Martha in the recent DC movies. But I've been a huge fan of hers since The Outsiders and Rumblefish, which she made for Francis Ford Coppola in the early 80s. The Cotton Club, which she also made for him, flopped, and that wasn't her fault. But she's been working consistently and glamorously in TV series such as Lonesome Dove, uh, films like The Perfect Storm, and she made a glitteringly sexy comeback in Unfaithful in 2002, earning an Oscar nomination. Well, now she's in Let Him Go, opposite Kevin Costner, playing a grandma who wants to get her grandson back and has to travel across state to do so, tracking him to a ranch owned by Ma Weeboy and her close clan of a fearsome family. He weighs nothing. Has he eaten? Got him a burger at Wrestlers while we were waiting. Did he eat it? Half. Do you want a pork chop? Huh? Some potatoes? No. Huh? Should I cut up a little meat for you? No. What was that? What are you supposed to say? Take him up to bed then. What? He just got here. We believe in early to bed in this house. And we believe in walking upstairs on our own two feet. The overbearingly protective and threatening Ma is played by British actress Leslie Manville, hamming it right up as a cowgirl villain. And as I put it to Diane Lane, with its ranches, its horse rides, wide open spaces and its rifles, it makes the film seem like a present day western. (laughs) Well, yes, there are moments of that in the story uh, at different points. uh, That is true. We do we do arrive there, but uh, we don't start out there. Not at and, all, uh, and that's what that's what's so surprising about it. it. It didn't start like that, and I thought, oh right, and then suddenly we're into the searches in a way. You know, it's a kind of fascinating film. I like that little that the little blend of very domestic love story that you've got going on with uh, Kevin Costner as, as your as your husband. This long love story. They clearly love each other, and they're motivated to to move into this dangerous territory by love itself. I thought that was really noble and beautiful. Thank you. Well, I, I think, yes, the sacrifices that wind up getting made in order to achieve the ends of, you know, it is an expression of love. And this is like three movies in one, in, in a way, because the audience witnesses some things in the first five minutes and you just realize these people have been through something, they're going through a lot. And then to have their grandchild removed from their home and, and the final and only expression of, you know, of their love as a couple is their grandchild. I mean, there's some great lines in, in Aren't they just? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kevin you, you... says it, at some point, you know, that's what life becomes, a list of the things you've lost. Yeah. Which is... Oh, my God. <laughs> very, very bittersweet, but, you know, 
spoken like gallows humor of the people who are encountering their own grief and trying to figure out how to mosh through it together. You don't see, you just don't see films about, you know, missing grandchildren very often. Missing children, yes, missing grandchildren. It seems like that we've we've moved into a different sphere and that we, you know, we watch you and Kevin and you're both happy to play grandparents in a way. Um, you know, that there's, there's a new a new genre in town in a way and it's all brilliant stuff as well because you know you you watch you two and you 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 move like you know action heroes of that of a mature more mature age might do so but you're still capable of all the emotion and all that you know everything's there on the page and on the screen just as much as it would be if it was you know if you were you know young getaways on the lamb i think it was you know i think it's a fascinating to watch both of you well we do have a confrontation with one another struggling with the issue of age and uh you know she says well we're not old you know <laughs> she's she's defiant to the end about that and he's like well we're not young honey i mean let's uh, get a little honest here so yeah exactly he knows he's going to inherit the uh, the heavy lifting for her meddling. It's just interesting to watch a long-term relationship cope with one another and the negotiations through, you know, he, he's placating her and hoping that she'll come to her senses and, and eventually do the right thing. Yeah. Which, of course, is the title of the film. It Let is, in a way, go. because there's, there's two layers of grief there. I think it's really, really interesting. I'm wondering what you're, what you're up to at the moment, Diana. Have you seen anything good lately? Are you, watching, are you watching movies? Are you watching streaming? Are you chilling out on the sofa? I should have written down every single thing I've watched. I've, I watched things like, uh, I don't know, like a starving person approaches a banquet. I, was, I, I had hoarded shows away for future times, like some psychic who knew that a pandemic was coming and I was going to spend an entire year on my sofa. <laughs> <laughs> so I caught up with the rest of the world in some ways and watched things like, oh my God, what's the biggest, most, you just, you just named it before, the, the British one. Downton Abbey? You watched Downton, Downton Abbey. Abbey? I watched all of Downton Abbey until my eyes bled. I just loved it. Now Queen's Gambit, loved it. I've caught up with Orange is the New Black. Well, I'm not caught up. I'm in the middle of that. Wow. Yeah, going all the way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing. I go way back. I'm, I'm about 10 years behind here, so you have to help me. <laughs> You're still um, a lonesome uh, dove. <laughs> oh, God, not that bad. I'm not that far back. <laughs> That was one of the first. We're, we're, we're not analog anymore. We've no, but I mean, amazing, because that was one of the first big miniseries TV things. You know, there wasn't a movie, but they had movie stars in it. And now, uh, of course, everyone's doing doing those TV shows. But, but back then, actually, it was quite unusual to have such such big stars in, in what was a TV show. Interesting. Well, the miniseries was a different category. Yeah. They finally did invent some kind of... I think the Hollywood Foreign Press came up with a category to to handle that star power that they wanted to give get more people... No, get yeah. more people. Yeah. So it's interesting how it works out. And now it's so, so amorphous. Our industry is big screen, small screen. I remember the futuristic, uh, you know, cartoons of Dick Tracy and talking on his watch. Mm. And now it's all come true. And I'm frightened if that's the the size of the screen that people are going to be watching films on. And I'm just going to end it all because <laughs> I can't. I mean, the cinematographers must be pulling their hair out. Sure, and look at your uh, film, this let, let Him Go. I mean, beautiful vistas sweeping, oh, kind of, you yes. know, grasses. And Kevin Costner needs that. He needs that. He needs to roam in the in the long grasses, Kevin. He's been there for a while. You too, you know, you're a you're you're a you're a, you're a big screen lady, you know. You've just been on, on that on, on my screen for so long. I mean, uh, you know, thinking back to going to talk to you, I was like, Oh wow, I mean outsiders. I had Matt Dillon on my show uh, not long ago. Last week I had your friend Vigo Mortensen on my show. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes, he's got but is that his film that he directed yes, Falling? For Falling, exactly. And also oh, 
yeah. has a western of, of sight you know he's on a oh, horse good. and yeah so you're both you're both on the horse i'd like to see that i can't i can't wait to see it yeah it's very very good very strong very strong film as well what was the first film you ever saw diane do you remember well it depends i mean you certainly what bambi and and those the disney cartoons and such um but then you know i was touring the world with these theater productions as a child we wound up in denmark at one point in copenhagen and you know it's great if you can find a, a movie theater that is not dubbed when yeah. you're in a foreign country. Uh, this was 1973 or four, I, I think. And uh, I guess it was Clockwork Orange. So I wound up <laughs> with some 20 year old who was watching me that day, you know, and, and she wanted to see the movie. And so we went and nobody said, maybe you shouldn't bring the nine year old. So I uh, I went in there and watched Clockwork Orange at nine years old. And I'm, I'm still recovering, frankly. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that would change. Yeah. That would explain some things. Now, 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 I look at back at your career. Now, I I can see where it all comes from. <laughs> well, I learned that you know adults are not always sane. And really, are you asking me to have compassion for villainy, especially when it's for villainy's sake? I just think that that was asking too much of my nine-year-old psyche to forgive adults that much. But yeah, you know, it was it was a foray into. I was in over my head. I was definitely in over my I'm head. I'm not surprised. But, but uh, I swam and the water was fine. And, and uh, I realized that, you know, I don't like seeing meanness without punishment on film. I don't know why. That's just maybe that was Kubrick's intention. Oh, yeah. I don't know have what, you, have what you, he would say. Have you seen it since? Again? Yeah, I, I have, of course, yes. It'd be very different. Yeah, if you're, yeah. we, 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 it's one of those films, a different age you come to it. It, it means a different thing. And, and Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I love that about books too. It's great. You mm. read them and is, is there a film that changed your life that you remember seeing and you thought, wow, that's or like either being in one or actually, you know, watching one, having that transformative experience? Wow, it changed my life. Whew. Oh, golly. You know, I'm going to have the answer to that in the cab ride home. I always <laughs> do that. I just, that's such a great question. And, Thank you. And, and so many have changed my life. Um, whether it's being in them and being informed by the experiences that I offered up and, you know, you surrender your, your heart, your soul, your body, your mind, everything to your craft when you're an actor. It's it's quite the surrendering process with skill and precision, hopefully. But uh, it's a team sport with everybody watching mm-hmm. and you do it over and over, take after take, and, and then they edit it and you see what they've done with what you have offered. And so... You know, I've I've come to terms with the fact that it is an addiction. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the, the ones that you were in that, that have a huge effect on your career, for example, like, let's say, The Outsiders, which launches you, or Rumblefish, which which puts you in another, you know, another stratosphere. They, they can change your life. But sometimes you just watch a film at home at night and you think, I, I want to... I want to be in French movies or I want to be like Jean Moreau or something like that. Was there a... You know, it's interesting. Um, I, 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 I'm a fan of nonfiction mm-hmm. uh, because there is so much fiction about. So um, when I can watch a good documentary that you just, it blows your mind that it's true. Yes. That, yeah. that to me is something that you cannot be better than, be larger than um, because a true story is, is always uh, shocking. Yeah, in, are, are you uh, one of those people that gets when you see a documentary, you get you know passionate. You say, "I can't believe this is true. I can't, but I've got to go and do something about this. I'm going to you know change my lifestyle. I'm going to vote differently. I'm going to you know go green." <laughs> you know, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. But I guess I was thinking of 
what was that? My octopus teacher. I mean, come mm-hmm. on, that's that's a beautiful story, and you just go, how is this even possible? And I'm watching it, and it's true. And I it's haven't so seen bad. the octopus, my octopus teacher yet. That's a good a good recommendation. I might have a look at that. If that's, if yeah. that's had your that's had especially you... especially because you, you get to have this experience and you're trapped in pandemic times on your sofa. So I'm grateful for the variety of you know, location. <laughs> yes. And also because you're an actress, if you see a documentary, you, at least you're going to go, oh, well, well, at least I didn't miss out on being cast in that. I couldn't have been in that one. They, they weren't looking That's for me. That's right. I couldn't <laughs> play the damn octopus. So who cares anyway? Exactly. No, I don't, I don't, I feel the opposite. I'm like, oh, thank God. I don't have to compete with that octopus because she's the best. Yes. Well, you had some good animals in uh, in Let Him Go. Some really beautiful horses, which actually wow, it was heartbreaking. A horse. There was a horse uh, scene that was pretty oh. heartbreaking. Oh, I know, I know. And we we go back to it and we refer to it a lot um, because that's the thing about love. It lives on forever. Um, as long as there's existence, there will be love. I mean, that's what we feel and and enjoy about. The transcend the the transcendence of love in in the medium of of movies and storytelling and sitting in the dark and having a story told to you unfold for you and you taken on a journey and it's I think it's the it's the it's the most amazing medium ever invented as far as satisfying a human need. Yeah, when was know? the last time you were in the cinema? I haven't been for a while. Golly, <laughs> I, I, I literally don't know. Exactly. I mean, I think it must have been February. Wow. Well, should we all get back to the cinema so we can see the film like Let It Go in its big widescreen glory? That would be great, wouldn't it? Let's do that soon. Yeah, we, we managed to be number one in the States for a week. That felt sweet. There you go. Bragging <laughs> rights are nice when you can get them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, we were the only film out, but you, you were top. I know. What was it? I was saying it's sort of like being Stonehenge in Spinal Tap. Yes. <laughs> the scale is a bit off. Absolutely. <laughs> See you going quoting British British comedy back at me. Diane, it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for your film. Thank you for a fabulous performance in it. You are brilliant as Martha. I, I loved the way you dominated that movie. It was just great. Brilliant performance. And thank you so thank much you, for joining man. me uh, today. And uh, let's... Um, Lovely let's... to spend the time. Cheers. And Let Him Go is out in some cinemas now, the open ones. And it will be on digital and home entertainment release in the new year. And Diane Lane is great in it. Diane Lane on my show. Cherry from The Outsiders. I think a little little moment to recover. Away into that way back when You thought that all would last forever But like the weather Nothing can ever Stevie Wonder and his theme from The Outsiders, which starred Diane Lane, alongside Rob Lowe, Matt Dillon, Tom Cruise, C. Thomas Howell, Ralph Macchio, Emilio Estevez. Ah, long time ago. Okay, time now for a little rundown and a recap of our first season, our first year here on Seen Anything Good Lately. Thanks for being with us for a show that started in lockdown and Well, there's been going on, mainly because of your lovely responses and because my lovely guests have kept on coming. So grateful to you all. We really are, really enjoyed doing this, kept me sane during lockdown uh, and kept me in touch with a whole new raft of films and TV shows and the way that recommendations are going. We love recommendations. They're more positive than full-out criticism, aren't they? Anyway, 
I have done a list because Christmas is all about lists, isn't it? I've done top 10 telly and top 10 movies. So I'll do a countdown, but it's not in any particular order in the telly one, except for my final choice, which I'll, I'll leave right till the end of the show. So let's do the telly now and we'll hear from some of the guests we featured. And then we'll have our second guest, Nils Fra, on this show. And then I'll do the top 10 films after that in some kind of countdown order, right? So let's start with the telly. There's Love Life, Anna Kendrick's perfect little half hours. I've loved those. They're just what you need. Digestible, amusing and relatable. Quiz. Do you remember that one with Michael Sheen playing Chris Tarrant about the coughing major on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Was it a Swizz? Matthew McFadden, excellent as uh, the coughing major himself. Sean Lloyd as his wife. And then I really enjoyed the four parts of David Nichols' own adaptation of his book, us starring uh tom hollander who was terrific in this and uh we spoke to david nichols about making it the novel i wrote 10 years ago so it's a long long journey and of course when i was writing the novel i thought god what must it feel like to be 53 <laughs> and of course now time has come rushed towards me and met me and now i now i know no it's been great actually it's it's always daunting adapting your own work because you don't want to upset people and some people are going to say oh it's uh, not as good as the book but actually <laughs> in this case if people have said anything they've said the opposite after us comes Unorthodox, which I thought was tremendous. One of the best things on Netflix. And this the performance by Shiri Haas as the young actress who plays the lead, who escapes the Brooklyn Jewish community and then goes to Berlin and almost transforms before her eyes. Terrific performance from an actress I'd never seen before. thought she was fantastic in that. Also fantastic were the two leads in Normal People, which had everyone gripped uh, by this will-they-won't-they-love story. Um, Paul and uh, Daisy, they were just terrific leads in that. And we caught up with the producer of uh, Normal People to find out just what an extraordinary hit he had on his hand. Ed Geeney uh, was his name and uh, it was really good to congratulate him on taking the nation by storm. It is a kind of perfect storm in a way and, and there's nothing else going on. There's no sports, there's no celebrities getting drunk. There's like literally coronavirus and reruns and we're one of the few new things. I loved Dave, the comedy about the Jewish rapper, which I thought was fresh and exciting and had some of the, the really, you know, most experimental moments on TV. I really thought the final episode of that was just a great bit of bold television comedy making. Definitely catch up with Dave. I was thrilled to catch up with uh, Mira Nair. Always a pleasure to see her work and always a pleasure uh, to see it uh, and talk to her about it, which we did because she'd made a Suitable Boy adaptation of Vikram Seth's doorstopper of a novel. Uh, She condensed it and made it absolutely beautiful and it looked sumptuous on the telly screens uh, again through the summer on Sunday nights on BBC One. Here's what Mira had to say about making that. I welcome you to to the reality of it, you know, basically, and the layers of it and the recreation of a time that was much more austere uh, and much more, I don't know, I think much more beautiful uh, than the time we live in now. Really enjoyed Feel Good, the uh, lesbian stand-up romance comedy uh, starring uh, Mae Martin. I thought she was terrific in that. Really uh, interesting British comedy, that one, uh, given the sort of, you know, the the sort of freshness of the situation that it was in. Really enjoyed that. The Salisbury Poisonings, directed by Saul Dibb, brought an all-star cast into a drama that was really relevant about a 
sort of viral pandemic in a way about the Novichok poisonings in Salisbury about those Russian spies uh, and trying to contain the contamination uh, from the city and it was it was left to um, Anne-Marie Duff who played the woman who had to sort of contain it and take on the establishment uh, and I thought she was brilliant in it she's always brilliant so it was a delight to catch up with her because it's it's as huge as the circumstances we're facing now you know people genuinely pe- people's lives were at risk um, it's a wonder only that one person died really it's so shocking and also because of her background and I got to know her you know and I knew that she'd come up through social work that was her that was her training and so she was a real grassroots individual and I say it's not in any order but probably the TV of the year was I May Destroy You Michaela Cole's uh, blistering portrait of young London uh, and of a young woman recovering from the trauma of sexual molestation Uh, who did it how what happened what was the truth behind it we dug we saw her friendships we saw her life uh, we got great music from it uh, and we also caught up with the brilliant young uh, London actor Papa Isiedu and asked him about his role in I May Destroy You. For him to feel real was like the absolute um, most important thing to me from the jump. Like I, I, I was never sure about like how he would necessarily be received. I wasn't I wasn't actually particularly concerned with like people liking him but I did want people to be able to relate to him and to recognise him. Papa Esiedu there from one of the TV events of the year, I May Destroy You. It was great, wasn't it, I May Destroy You? I'm so glad we had Papa on. And it was great to remember what a great playlist went with uh, that. Playlists were the thing, weren't they, this year? Normal people had a good playlist. Um, Killing Eve season three had a playlist that popped up on Spotify. It's your, what you do now, you get a good playlist going and you get that buzz going. And I May Destroy You certainly had a fantastic playlist, uh, including this tune, Picture Perfect from Little Sims. <laughs> Sticking with music now, we turn to German ambient techno jazz classical solo keyboard pioneer Nils Fromm. He just makes great music. It's beautiful stuff using a variety of machines. And he did the score to the excellent one-take all-nighter movie Victoria starring Lia Costa. Nils's latest album is also a concert movie, the hypnotic performance film Tripping with Nils Fromm. Now, the concert movie films him playing in Berlin in the legendary Funk House uh, in what looks like one continuous take, but which I found out later was actually done over four different nights 
So when I got hold of Nils in his darkened Berlin apartment, I asked him why it took four nights to shoot and how that affected him. Since a lot of it is still uh, improvised and, and put together in the moment, when you compare the concerts, they're quite different from each other. So some of it comes with the venue. If you change the venue in the city, you have a different room, acoustics, general feel of a room. So there's a lot of difference there. But even if you play two or three nights or four nights, like in this case, in one room, each night will have a very different energy mm. because your energy is different and the audience uh, is different. Was so there that... more pressure on this because you knew it was being filmed by, I think there's 10 cameras, aren't there? Something like that. Is it a different pressure? Because you're thinking, exactly. all right, I'm going to be on, I'm going to be on screen forever if I get it wrong. Sure, there was there was a bigger pressure than on a usual gig somewhere in a small city where where not all your friends are there and there's not a long a guest list. I, <laughs> I, I personally like these these more intimate concerts, um, but yeah, when when I play in Berlin, I also know a lot of people who will come, people from the industry, but also family and friends. And so I'm nervous because of that. And on top, being filmed was quite nerve-wracking. But by having four times the opportunity to deliver something useful for the film, I felt like the pressure was taken off there. Yeah, look, I thought I thought the the, the array of uh, we got to see your instruments really up close. You know, sometimes when yeah. you're when you're in the venue, you can't quite see the the knobs on the moogs. You can't quite see the keys on your on your special clavier. You can't get get everything the 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 richness perhaps of uh, of the hearing the keys maybe. So this was also a very uh, sort of beneficial aspect of committing it to film. Yeah, we we sh decided to shoot the film rather close, maybe as you would be seated in the first row, and the first row is basically one arm length away from my instruments. <laughs> well, it won't be any more, mate. You've got to change that now. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be possible. And and so I think by, by seeing things kind of close, you also like acoustically uh, realize they're closer. Uh, maybe our sense of seeing also helps us like feeling the intimacy there did you have any concerts that you uh used as reference points in terms of music documentaries or great music gigs that were the filmic references for it i was getting into music heavily when i was a teenager was um, um life uh, at roseland uh by portisette oh great and album they managed to bring a whole studio set up yes and not only the album i mean this the, that that the film. has a video too and it's shot so well oh. it's just i mean i want people to go back and watch that video because maybe there's a new generation having no idea do you know what i haven't but seen it for ages it was one of my favorites i, I, I i'm glad you reminded me of it because uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people people need to go go back and, and see that because it's just just good i mean it's better than good great choice Perfect. It's one of my favorite albums of all time, and I forget it sometimes. I don't know why, but yes, thank you, Nils. You right, because me. it's so sad, and you want to want to get away from that place. <laughs> <laughs> so powerful, brilliant. Yeah, so the Portishead uh, live at Roseland. That's a great, a great start. And in terms of the sort of filmic world, what what are you? What have you been watching uh, lately? You seen anything good lately? Oh yeah, I just saw um, uh, Mon Oncle, My Uncle by Tati. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a silly film from, I think, 58 or yeah, something. 54, and, I think, uh, Mon Oncle. Maybe 58, you're right. Yeah, yeah and, and, and it's about like this this uncle living kind of in old village 
French village and visiting um, his brother and he lives in this super modern house uh, with electric everything, doors and kitchen. And it's about how horrible the modern life is in the modern times is <laughs> yes are you are you a, but you're you're a pioneer you're you're you love electric you know you're, you're not a victim to the electric in the way that jack tati is <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely and and it's important that we all can laugh about ourselves because we are so silly being all so modern and being so optimistic with the technology because it's just funny it's a it's a beard you know so, when it works so well they're smooth i see why you would like it there's a smooth machine to the to the to the comedy in a way that's the, the routine is so perfect you know i can see that would work yeah. for you uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also the the obviously we, we know your work from uh sebastian shipper's film victoria beautiful work that you did on, on that any more film scores coming from you yeah, we were discussing um, doing doing some more because we didn't know maybe how to work in the pandemic. And then we realized that a lot of movie productions were suffering as well, that they couldn't really plan ahead. So I'm not sure really what's going on now there. I think it's just very hard to predict certain certain projects, which I felt like they were surely happening, also got cancelled, and um, even funded things which are more funded, and and so yeah. Are these German uh, projects or? Uh, there was a project project associated with ballet, and I was really curious about that one. Could have been a cool opportunity, but now it is postponed. I cannot say much about it now, but but just in general, it felt like it was the right choice to do as much independently as as you possibly could. And so I was thinking, as a theme for working, I had to um, do things I can do by myself. So I go in the studio and I turn on the to switch and try to make music and I, I go as far as I can possibly go alone and everything I would need to do with a bigger team or with a bigger number of people I I try to not go there even in my head and just be like look Niels there must be other things you can do alone right well you've been doing solo piano for, for quite a few years it, it was it's what you you were known for so I suppose this was this was the, the, you were the one guy in this pandemic who could probably kind of get away with it but you know when you see your film you realize the connection that you have with an audience how important that is so well, I hope it's important to you I don't know maybe you don't maybe you don't care <laughs> but I think you know <laughs> you there's you have to feed off that you're feeding them anyway for sure it's a performance and to see that audience there it was it was almost like a time capsule it's like oh my god i remember those i mean the memory of all these moments and nights it it definitely helps me to to imagine how it could go on because of course my audience is important for my ambition in this whole mm. game i would say i mean without all that positive feedback i'm getting in a live concert maybe i would have never gone that far as in terms of working hard on this and and now i think i just like that maybe that magnetic thing between me and my fans whatever whatever that distance now does i would always try to use it in a healthy way i think i could have needed a break and uh, in a way i just don't want to ring the alarm bell the first and be like look guys we need to do something yeah. now we need to do how something. is berlin how you've been in berlin all through lockdown yeah berlin i mean berlin doesn't really pay me for anything so i can't make advertisement for the place <laughs> i think it's it's mostly gray and ugly yes but i know it has a very good reputation so i don't want to be um unthankful i know I, I never love it i have to say i don't know why okay, but I, i've never fallen in love with it people do but i don't 
let's say it's 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 even more horrible than before because <laughs> now all the good things about it also disappear. Exactly, you, you, know? you just are left with the bad stuff. Yes. <laughs> I can feel your pain too. Yeah, I only like the clubs and maybe the cinemas, and that's it. No, but that, that's for all cities. And Berlin, Berlin is not bad in 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 a, in a way because people are funnily, ridiculously relaxed about many things here, and it's it's a it's a city which is used to any type of crisis. So um, that's true. I think in a way, Berlin takes quite well. I could be in Munich or in a place where people are a little bit more uptight. Yeah. Yeah, that, so that's a that's a relief. That would kill me and would. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been doing apart from getting in the studio? Have you, have you been watching TV shows? Are you a guy that watches, you know, binges box sets? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I today, got into a, um, fell into a, a hole, uh, of gong YouTube videos because, I I I just got into the idea of gongs and I wanted to learn more about them and now. I spent maybe two hours like watching weird videos about gongs and where they come from and what what the difference and all this and so yeah sometimes I don't even know how it happens but I, I see weird things. Great, great gongs! I, I can hear. I'm looking forward to the new album, the Gong album. Well, it it seems so easy. You just hit it gently and it makes a sound for about two minutes. I love that. <laughs> But it would be brilliant. You could get that knob, get twiddle that knob, and that would just be kind of playing through. Yeah, we need some more gongs from you, Nils. Uh, that's a good. That's a very good recommendation. I might carry on there. Do you remember the first film you ever saw? Wow. Um, honestly, no. Not like a. You don't remember going to see Snow White or some cartoon, maybe a German thing or the. Nah. No. Not really. Maybe maybe my first. Memory is dinner for one. Something we'd watch in Germany for New Year's is about a twenty-five minute sketch. Maybe you know it because it's famous now. Yeah, it's famous. Yeah, dinner for one. Very funny, and and we watch that every year. So I'm not sure about that, but that's a strong memory. And then it's, all it's on the... television every year. Is it New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve? It's on New Year's Eve, and it it is on television even every hour. So <laughs> right, like it comes on different channels. Like so, people definitely don't miss it. They can watch it at seven, at eight, at nine thirty, and at twelve, and in the morning. And is it actually uh, good? It is maybe the most funny short film for me there is. It, it just. I mean, it's a little hilarious, but that's that's a good thing about it. Yeah, it's, it's a classic. I think it's probably I think it's the most watched Christmas film because of the the frequency with when it comes. I don't yeah. know if they were going to remake it or something, but there's a story. I haven't seen it ever, but <laughs> I do I do know it. <laughs> and the guy who plays the the main guy, he's he's like the most famous, must be one of the most famous people in Germany. Well, in a way, he was just maybe more like an uh, indie cabaret. Uh, context but yeah after that he was very famous for sure but i'm not sure about what he was doing i maybe i i i went to waldorf school which is a sect kind of thing <laughs> which spread over the world <laughs> <laughs> and 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 um in in the school they believed that television um makes you become the worst person and so i wasn't really allowed to watch much and and yeah i also didn't really watch much i think yeah, well, that, thank God, otherwise you'd be evil. So exactly, I would have 
turned into a terrible person like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but movies are allowed. You're allowed to see movies. Is there? Did you when you didn't don't remember the first movie you ever saw? Was there a movie that you did see when you were finally allowed to watch these evil images that went? You went, oh my god, cinema's great. Movies are great. Yeah. Well, when my cousin, he was exactly the opposite of 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 how i was raised he he was allowed to see like all the arnold schwarzenegger movies and jean-claude van damme films and the real bad stuff and and whenever i got to visit him i was watching that too so in the meantime while i shouldn't really watch tv at all i was actually seeing some of the worst and i mean stuff which is not for kids <laughs> yeah that's good that's the good stuff Got, got into terrible nightmares when I watched like some films by Stephen King. I I, I think we watched maybe um, Shining when I was ten or something. So yeah, I had to mature. <laughs> yeah, that grows you up pretty quickly. <laughs> the the your, your executive producer I notice on the film or, or tripping with Nils from is Brad Pitt because it must have been through uh, through Plan B. Um, productions anyway did you get to meet brad pitt do you hang did you hang with brad does he come to your sort of concerts yeah isn't it incredible yeah <laughs> you should yeah, see but... some of his films <laughs> i know his work okay <laughs> i know his work i mean i honestly really like like him as an actor i always i mean i, I don't listen to all the ladies saying okay brad pitt is not as good as this guy or that guy me as a guy i i found him a very good actor and especially and me as a guy i think he's really hot as well if i may say i'm not gay but if i was if i was it, he would be my thing i would admit that in a heartbeat as well and um it was just great to yeah smoke a cigarette with him and um yeah just talk about also our movie and he watched the movie with us and he gave us over an hour advice of what we could do better and and I realized, okay, yeah, no, he definitely knows what we were missing out on. I had the same feeling, and he was just pointing it out, and I felt like, okay, okay, okay. Right. Well, you need to be scoring an Ocean's Eleven movie, whatever, Ocean's 16 or 15 it would be now. 26. Yeah. Yeah, David Holmes gets to do those, doesn't he, I think? So, yeah, you can you can get in there. Oh, no, so, amazing to know. I, there must be a point where someone said, well, look, Brad Pitt wants to help finance the movie. And you go, well, Brad Pitt knows who I am. Brad Pitt listens to my stuff. There must be a moment where he, you go, well, he's got my albums, really? Yeah. Yeah, in in a way, it is incredible. And I try to, whenever something like this happens, and I mean, it doesn't happen every day, but sometimes you just realize maybe, yeah, Brad Pitt likes your music. Whenever something like this happens, I tend to not really believe it, you know? And then... It's true. I, I, when you when you tell me that, I'm like one half of my brain says, "Uh huh, yeah, I know," and the other half is just not listening or taking record. So yeah, no, I I just think it's really cool. If he, I'm glad it was him rather than you know rather than Donald Trump playing you at some rallies, yeah, you, you're you're better off with 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 Brad Pitt getting stoned to your stuff. I think it's cool. <laughs> but, but but that that helped Kanye West, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's good for sales, but it's just, just a bit cooler than it's Brad. <laughs> Listen, the other one of yours that I, I want to talk to you about just before we go is the Late Night Tales compilation that you did, which I love that uh, compilation. Uh, great stuff on there. Miles Davis, Nina Simone was on their boards of Canada, Penguin Cafe Orchestra. That, those are all your influences, I take it. Nina Simone. What did, what did you take from Nina Simone? Oh, I mean, I'm not a singer. And she is a great singer. I mean, she's maybe the best singer, but but she is also a fantastic pianist. Maybe also the best pianist. Mm. I mean, 
if she was still around playing concerts, everybody would sweat, you know, including me big time. And, and so I think as a whatever, a singer, a performer, a poet, a person, a persona, whatever, you can only just be inspired by that charisma. And I mean, that also great person like her makes amazing music and so much of it is just mind-blowing. And I feature her also in my annual Christmas mixes. Usually there's a track on there I do. I do one and put them up on Mixcloud. If people now are in the need for cheesy Christmas music, I put on these 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, usually like crackly records on these mixes. And Well, so we're, I, we're definitely in the market for, for cheesy Christmas music. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's Christmas. It's Christmas <laughs> now. Like, so. If I talked to you in April, I'd say, no, I'm not interested, Niels. But <laughs> right now, I'm quite interested. Yeah, man. I think they're good. And, and they're, they're many. So, yeah. so Nina Christmas. So if we had a Nina, you know, an example of Nina's piano playing that particularly you, you love, what's, what's your favorite bit of piano from Nina? Oh, uh, well, uh, Don't Smoke in Bed. And she does it super, super, super well. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's many versions of that, but there's one piano version and ah, so good. She did it a lot. Not only is it a wonderful piano version and great lyric, it's also very good advice. It's got three, three very key, key elements there. Don't smoke in bed. I mean, people don't smoke in bed anymore. So maybe. Like... <laughs> they, they listened, finally. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nils, it's been brilliant speaking to you. Really enjoyed that. And uh, I shall go and disappear down a gong, YouTube gong rabbit hole. May I wish you a Merry Christmas in that Frohe Weihnacht? Yeah, uh, may I too, because I might not see you before. And um, I think now is the time. Merry now Christmas. is definitely the time. Really nice to see you. Thanks a lot, nice mate. Nice to see you. <laughs> Uh, the album is out now, and the film Tripping with Nils Fram is on movie. It's super cool, yeah? Time for my top 10 of 2020 in movies. Now, this being a recommendations show, you may not have caught many of these, so take this as stuff to watch, all of it. Some we featured on the show with guests and interviews, some I've just reviewed, but it is all must-see stuff. So these are my recommendations over Christmas to you. So we'll start, we'll do a little countdown for this one. This one I have put in an order, just because I feel like I should. Uh, but, you know, it's arguable, the order of this. They're all super things. At number 10, I'm going with Mogul Mowgli, Riz Ahmed's blistering portrait of a young British Pakistani rapper who has to stay at home and confront his roots. Brilliant stuff, great music, great performances in there. At nine, I'm going with White Riot, a documentary by debut filmmaker Rubika Shah detailing the atmosphere and the racism around the Rock Against Racism concert held in 1978 in Victoria Park where The Clash played with Steel Pulse. Here's what Rubika had to say about it. Film about music, punk, politics, civil rights, pop culture um, and about I guess young people in the late 70s. My number eight is Spike Lee's Da Five Bloods which I thought was great stuff on Netflix about four uh, African-American vet soldiers returning to Nam in the scene of a trauma uh, that they flash back on Chadwick Boseman stars Delroy Lindo is terrific in the main part uh, some people have said oh, it's all over the place of course it's all over the place it's about Vietnam which was all over the place it's about African-American soldiers who, who never got their dues and recognition in a movie about it and it's by Spike Lee who does do inventive visuals that's what it's supposed to be it's brilliant to five bloods at number seven the epic 
undertaking by Mark Cousins. Women make film. 14 hours of documentary putting uh, women who'd never really had the spotlight thrust on them before uh, front and centre detailing the rich history of female made films throughout the history of film making. I caught up with Mark and I asked him what he wanted to get out of making this mammoth undertaking. I really was looking for women with real credibility who had made great choices and who also, you know, didn't buy into some of the gender stereotypes and things. And so we got people like Jane Fonda and Tandy Newton and, you know, Shamila Tagore and Kerry Fox and Adjua Ando. We got really great people. I was thrilled. And I think they liked the idea that this wasn't going to generalize about uh, how women have made films and it was going to talk about their work. At number six, another documentary, Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am, which I thought was an inspirational literary documentary about a towering figure, Toni Morrison, who we lost also in 2019. She's in this just before she died, reflecting on a career we hear the poetry the power the color of her work it makes you want to read all of her books some brilliant talking heads there politicizes it contextualizes it a really wonderful and empathetic and gorgeous documentary about an amazing writer who I think everyone needs to read and find out more about. Number five, I've gone for a personal favourite, the personal history of David Copperfield. I just thought this deserved a lot more love uh, from awards bodies. I thought Armando Yanucci's adaptation of Dickens was um, very, very spry, very witty, very amusing, very great fun. I thought Dev Patel as Copperfield himself was rather lovely and it changed the face of casting of British period movies, putting black and Asian and southeast Asian faces in places where they're not normally seen. I thought it was terrific and really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I, you know, every every single character actor was was rather lovely in it, uh, including Tilda Swinton going Janet Donkeys and um, you know Scottish actor uh, Capaldi, Peter Capaldi, uh, who was a, a lovely Macorber, Dickens Macorber, Wilk, sorry Wilkins Macorber. Uh, he made me laugh every time he was on screen. Great stuff. At number four, my documentary of the year is Miles Davis, Birth of the Cool, by the great filmmaker Stanley Nelson. Here's what he had to say about making a, a jazz portrait of the great Miles. You know, one thing that we found when we made the film was that the people, you know, who played with Miles and knew Miles are just great and funny, you know, talking about Miles. And, and there's this real, you know, uh, reverence for Miles and love for Miles that comes through in, in the film. So it's great to hear them talking. At number three, the gorgeous, sexy Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Portrait d'une jeune fille en feu. Directed by Céline Sciamma and starring Naomi Merlon and Adèle Hanel. What a sexy film. What a beautiful film that had me crying in tears. It's just exquisite, this portrait. I just think it's a delightful film, a brilliant film. So clever the way it subverts genre and plays with history. Uh, brilliant stuff, Céline. At number two, another superb French film which I just was swept up in it's called Les Miserables nothing to do with the the musical or Tom Hooper's terrible adaptation thereof uh, but to do with the Bon Dieu we had La Haine out as a reissue this year Kasovitz's unmissable key 90s film this is its modern day companion set in the Bon Dieu uh, uh, of Montfermeil where Hugo set his novel Les Miserables in the first place hence the name it's about the policeman it's about the black community the Muslim brother the the hidden African communities behind doors, the youngsters, the violence, the tinderbox atmosphere. 
just a brilliant film and it's got a lion in it. But my number one is a London film. It's Rocks by Sarah Gavron and her team, Teresa Rococo, writing. Uh, it is the story of an East End girl, a Hackney girl, whose mum disappears uh, and leaves her looking after her younger brother. And while she tries to, uh, to Rocks herself, tries to fend off social services from finding out and taking her little baby brother, she enlists the help of all her school friends to do so. And it is a brilliant portrait of a female friendship, uh, young London life, great music in there, uh, beautiful empathetic filmmaking, uh, just uh, done with a fantastic touch, rocks, you can see it, it's on Netflix, uh, I just thought that is a brilliant 2020 movie. So there we have it. You can catch all of those on various platforms that should fill your Christmas viewing stocking up. They're all so worth it. Honestly, I wouldn't put you wrong, would I? And yet, I hear you say, Jason, seen anything good lately? Yes, there's one major event missing from all of that, and that's Small Axe, the Steve McQueen series, which is both my top TV of the year and my top films. Mangrove and Lover's Rock were wonderful standalone movies. They were both selected for Cannes, so they would have debuted on the big screen in Cannes. I would have seen them there if there'd been a Cannes in 2020, and they would have been great movies of the year. And yet they debuted mainly on BBC One on a Sunday night, mainstream telly, and I loved them for that too, to get their message out and be seen as widely as possible. We heard on this show from Sean Parks, star of Mangrove, playing Frank Critchlow in that, and I asked him what it was like to be in such a landmark film and TV event. There's a couple of things I've done where you get a sniff of like, hold on a minute. So did I have an inkling when I read the Mangrove script that if done correctly uh, with the attention to detail that it warranted that something similar might happen? Um, yeah, I had an inkling. So that's it. My favourite of the year. Mangrove and Lover's Rock and Red, White and Blue. I put them all together, small acts. I loved them because... That's so 2020, isn't it? It's the year when TV and film converged until we could hardly tell them apart anymore. Did it matter? I don't know. All I know is that that was the perfect answer to the question, seen anything good lately? Thanks for listening to us. Thanks to my very patient producer, Kate Dawkins, who put all my bits together every week. And thanks to the wonderful guests who've come on and shared their viewing tips and cultural preferences and given us such great insight into what they watch at home and such great recommendations. Wishing you all the very best Christmas possible in the circumstances. Let's go out, shall we, with a tribute to a great man we lost in 2020, reggae legend Toots Hibbert, whose music, with the Maytals, of course, was so crucial to the atmosphere and success of my film of the year, Mangrove. See you soon. I